I want to be a princess. Like, where is the best sugar daddy, the most handsome prince? Where is he? Like, that's what I want. And Happy Little Screams, season two. Let us in. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire. Welcome to the Happy Little Screams podcast, season two. So writing, what are you writing? Story. What are you writing, Tim? Me? Oh, I, I mean, nothing as interesting as what you and Sean are. Uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the, the thing that I'm working on. Actually, I'm working on two things. I'm working on a script right now. Um, uh, a little horror script. I think I told you about it. Uh, the one that deals with the uh youtubers in the woods yes oh by the way i'm going to uh on monday i'm going to like a natural place with my friend claire the one i told you who may have uh who may have like a place if you haven't found a spot yet to shoot it because i mean yeah yeah well i'll I'll talk to her on monday i'll talk yeah yeah, we we should we should chat about that um yeah i'm working on that script uh but i'm also um thanks to sean uh because he just released his new book and has re-inspired me to continue with my book uh i'm working on a project called carol and siggy which is all about a uh, little girl who goes into an alternate reality to find her best friend oh and that's coming from you yeah i i have a fascination with uh the Alice in Wonderland archetype. Yeah, twisted innocence, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Because I, I mm. love the idea of going into a uh, a Candyland or a Wonderland or a fantasy world that things aren't as they seem. Um, so you mean like basically Penny? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the, the little terror that looks like a little love bug? Talk about, what was the word you were? Like twisted innocence? Like twisted is innocence. Penny... Is Penny literally twisted innocence? Is that what a puppy is, like yeah. in a way? Well, no. I think uh, uh, Penny or, or, or a puppy in general is mm-hmm. um, an exact example of what I was saying earlier. You need that pain to experience the love, because they bite the fuck out of you. They piss all over your house. Oh, they oh, eat no, your no, walls. No. They eat your favorite shoes. Like goddamn, when they lay down and they cuddle with you. And they do those silly things like when you're up at like 1230 on TikTok and they've already had their toothbrush and they come over and they put their sh- their head on your shoulder and they go. <sighs> and then they put their paw on your phone, like put it away, daddy. I want to go to bed. Put it away like that. That is so fucking cute. Like you could just feel the love worth it, worth every like, bit of it, worth every part. They're like, what are you doing? I'm trying to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> trying or, to bury or, the gem, bury the light orb, whatever they yeah, think it is. Yeah. Or like with the cats. They're like, why are you petting the keyboard? Don't you pet me? Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I think that pets are wonderful. I typically get along with animals very well. I revere them, but I also, you know, I just, right now I don't have the funds to do anything other than to really just support myself. and like, you know. I'm, I'm comfortable. I eat organic, like vegetable food, but you know, most people, 
have children. Most people have bills to pay. And I guess for whatever reason, they've just decided that like, if I can't have community, if I can't have it doing the things that I believe in, then I guess I won't have it. I'll, I'll get to say that I tried my best. It's like this sort of peace in, in just knowing I'm only responsible for me. Well, you also live a very gypsy lifestyle. Like, well, Ramani, yeah, you're not in the until... same place for, for very long. Well, that's the thing. So right now Uranus is in Taurus. So my moon and Venus are in Taurus right now. So the idea is that revolutionary sudden change is in the place where the moon is. So it's the closest, the closest orb to us. The, clo- the part of me that's closest to the surface is in Taurus is considered an exaltation and Venus rules Taurus. So I have at probably the most like auspicious place right near the most auspicious place in the zodiac like i really do have like one of the most like clearly dignified charts in astrology like and that was that was sort of like oh my god like me and ram das kind of like vibes is what <laughs> what ended up what ended up being seen and i i'm like oh my god like that's so cool and it's confirmed by multiple astrologers and then it's uh, wait a minute like i'm that now like there's no, there's nothing to achieve. There's nowhere I need to go. There's nothing I need to accomplish. I just need to address the energy from moment to moment. So even though I'm living a gypsy life, it's because I'm trying to do what you're doing in your story. I'm trying to find my best friend. I'm trying to find the situations, the best possible places for me to exist where the things that I'm offering are a win-win to everyone around me. Like win-win structures has to be where we start putting our focus. And that is not, that's not like people are bad for surviving how they are now. It's just like, no, 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 no. Let's build a win-win from this point forward. Like, I don't care if you've eaten veal, like just eat broccolini next time. Like, let's do (laughs) this. You know, it's not, it's not about the past. And I think that's what pretty much every sage and scholar says from any religious tradition. And it's like, if this is the voices and sounds that need to come out of my mouth, great. But what if I just got to be asked questions about how to do things that I know how to do? Like, oh, well, that's what my job is right now. I know what this vegan menu sells and doesn't. And you are looking for an experience. If I don't know something, let me ask the kitchen. It's just, for whatever reason, I'm because I, I'm doing it and trying to survive and network and find places to live, all the different things. It's like, there's something about my lifestyle that's not, that's not grounded. It's not like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. So I'm just sort of, dealing with it the best I can so it's like am I am living a gypsy lifestyle but like did I choose it or is this just where I have to go in order to to thrive and survive it's it's like I want to be a princess like where is the best sugar daddy the most handsome prince where is he like that's what I want and but that's not I don't feel in any way bad about it that was the conditioning of my youth that was the disney movies that's what we're all built on is that fantasy that's true but the thing it's it is who we are it is how we're informed so if i'm going to be the author who pens the next story then what 
is that going to look like? And I've been trying to write this story for 30 years and I just now feel like I can actually start. And I'm tired already because no one's paying me to do that work. It's like, I have to do all this other shit. Yeah. And but again, our art in general yeah. is torture. I mean, it's, you, you just got to sit down you just got to do it. And once you get it out there, see, see the problem with most artists is they never think that they're good enough. And once they get something down, they never think that's good enough, which is why projects either never get done or they never get finished. A book is never finished. It's only, uh, uh, what's it called? Abandoned. Or abandoned, yeah. <laughs> you give it to the editor and they, they just lock it in a cage and they're like, you can't touch it anymore. Yeah. I don't have a good editor. I, I've never met one who, because the thing is, like, I don't just need an editor. I need someone to say, hey, like, it's valuable for you to do this. Like, so that's why Tim's perspective is something that I'm like, okay, like, I'm the universe, in my experience, is starting to say things to me, like, your opinion is valuable. Like, there's someone out there who might value it. Like, the thing is, my brain is designed, my survival mechanism is to take every idea and to just chop it up into bits, because on a foundational level, I was told things that didn't have real world, like practical application <laughs> as a very young child and conditioned for years and years. So my coping strategy now is actually to disassemble and prove everything as both true and false. Like, and then from there, I just like tune into my body. And I think this may be the answer because you said I might know it, but maybe it is. It's all in the body. The body is keeping the score. That's an interesting book that's popping into my head. It's like, there's your manifested current reality is evidence of your patterns. Some of them are your fault. Some of them are not your fault. But like, if you have, if you have something going on in your body or your mind or your environment, that's because of you. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like it's a shared experience. It's not just us. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But you also got to remember that there's a lot of resistance that comes up uh, I think it's the uh, not the artist way, the the war of art, where they talk about the uh, oh yeah, war of art. Yeah, what war is it? It's not, the, it's not the resistance. It's uh, uh there's, it there's a resistance. name for it. Is it? It's resistance, it's but he has a bunch of other names for it. He talks about it being the uh, it's the dragon, and you have to be the you know sir whatever to slay the dragon because it's yeah. the voice in you that says no, and you have to say yes. Yeah, but that that voice that says no can come in many different ways, like trying to explain or trying to give you a reason or, you mm -hmm. know, the uh, the fact you sit down to write and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I didn't do the dishes yet. Maybe I should go do the dishes. You know, that's that's what all that resistance is. If you just push past the resistance, like Caleb, you showed me that little bit that you wrote. Fucking phenomenal. Like it was very descriptive. I felt the character. I was invested in the character. And I think that was what, like four pages that I read? Well, I'm eager to read it now. It was like a page and a half. It was a page and a half because, so the thing that's, I'm trying to figure out how to do it. And it's, it's clear to me that the hardest one is the most effective. And that is first person, right? And and I want to find ways to make sure that I'm sharing all three sides, which is basically the one in the middle and the, the people at the two ends of the polarity in this story, because it's really just about like the energy of three, basically. And I'm, I'm going to start with the one that I know that I can write, which is the one that is like 
deeply just observing the situation. That character is the perfect one to introduce the world. The second one is going to be from his lover who is coming from one tradition. And the third one is going to become from his friend who's from the other tradition in this universe. So it's like, I, I have the entire arc, like I have this like blueprint vision, but it isn't fun to write. It's not fun to write. Like what is fun is having sex. What's fun is going to park. What's fun is being pursued by men who have resources. Like to have, like it's, I know that I don't need to rush, but I also know if I don't write it and just get it done, then it'll never get done. But I hear the voice of my grandfather saying like, did you know that like Harper Lee wrote like one book <laughs> or whatever? And I just like the conditioning and the deep messages that I've been given, maybe there's some divine force that's orchestrated it, but it's probably going to take me my entire life to write a book, like a book. And maybe that's okay because my favorite book that I've ever read is The Prophet. It's just oh. one of the greatest. And he wrote this line in one of his books i think it's is it the vision or no it's the master what's that author again Khalil gibran he's just the best um where is it where is this oh my god no no i want to see i want to make sure i might be in the prophet i'm yeah, I'm, I'm it's my favorite book in my collection okay where is it, it says gibran considered the prophet his greatest achievement he said i think i've never been without the prophet since i first conceived the book back in Mount Lebanon. <laughs> okay, you sound cool. It seems to have been a part of me. I kept the manuscript four years before I delivered it over to my publisher because I wanted to be sure. I wanted to be very sure that every word of it was the very best I had to offer. And I'm like, I, I believe that this is something that like my soul knows but I'm so fixated and clinging to it almost out of fear, which I would say is probably conditioned from like belief-based trauma, but like you're right, Tim, but also, also Khalil Gibran's right. And I actually, in my bones, don't think that there's one of you that's more right than the other. I know that he's a celebrated author, but that doesn't mean he's right in this instance or you're wrong. They're somehow both, both true. And I just, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is different for everybody because when you when yeah. you look at some of the uh, biggest writers out there like um, uh, Stephen King, it's a quality wrote, over quantity thing. Yeah, he wrote uh, what was it, Cujo or Christine in a weekend? Mm -hmm. He wrote the entire book over a weekend in a haunted house. He didn't even remember writing it. And those books are are celebrated. I don't remember which one it is, but then again, you look at somebody like George R. R. Martin, who is mm -hmm. what in his like seventies and has been writing these books since he was like twenty. I mean, he got the uh, the the show uh, picked up and everything for Game of Thrones. And he was like, mm. you know, by the time you guys get, uh, you know, eight years from now, I will have the next book done. He hasn't even started on the next book. Like there's still two books in the series that the guy hasn't done, you know, so there there is no right way to do it, but there is a way to get it done. <laughs> There, there's an interview with him where Martin turns to Stephen King and says, how the hell do you write so fast? Drugs. Lots of drugs. Yeah, yeah there's lots of cocaine. That's why he doesn't remember stuff, too. My yeah. favorite authors are typically people like Alice Monroe because she writes a short story that's just like, it, to be completely frank, though, I don't read a ton. I don't watch a ton of films. Like, Tim can probably verify that with 
like some he has like the dopest theater system and i think <laughs> i think i utilized it i i started utilizing it yeah, somewhere the I watched, end you started utilizing yeah it. i started like learning a little bit because i do feel like i absorb things from who I live with, like, it's like the universe is like, you're going to do this and this and then this, and you're going to take this energy from this person. And then eventually it's all going to make sense. But for right now, just hold on. Like, that's kind of what life feels like. But there's this, there's this sense that you're right. Like, you're right. But what is keeping me from actually doing it? And I think what it comes down to is right now, I don't feel like I have baseline security and safety. And I think that stems or, or that is the root of pretty much all problems. So like everything we're experiencing in existence stems from this like fear-based thing. My, my friend, Sebastian, who um, he, he introduced me a concept. It may have been from his own creation. Um, I'm hesitant to share it um, because I don't want to like, if he, ha- if he wants to publish it one day, but he essentially talks about leftover evolutionary programming. And he calls it loans. And his name is Sebastian Bentowski. I hope he's okay with me sharing his ideas. I think he is, especially, but I do want him to get credit for it. But it's like, we are carrying all of those things around. And he calls them loans. And maybe, I don't know where he picked that up. or it, But it's true. Like, we are not in danger, but we're living like we are. Like, we're eating because, like, fat and sugar, like, we put them in our mouths and we chew them up because we're, like, hardwired to eat these things because we don't know if we'll ever find them again. On like an animal level, yep. but, but we're not actually suffering. Our body needs to catch up. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I practice certain things. It's, it's like, well, I think I'm just one. I think I'm our body one. has our body in general, I think has caught up because we, our body itself is so adaptable to the situation around us. I think that what hasn't caught up is our mind because that that's a mental thing with you know the the lack of food and and everything like that and that's well we are, we are surrounded all the time by our apex predator which is other humans that's mm. true and what about toilet paper though during the pandemic like it's just people where i grew up didn't use toilet paper it wasn't that unusual like you just wash your hands like it's it's just sort of the way of the world like it's and and some people look at that and they're like oh that's disgusting and i'm like Actually, what might be disgusting is that you're not returning the nutrients that you no longer are wanting to the earth to fertilize the soil. Like that actually might be disgusting, but it's so hard. It's so hard for people to even begin like realizing that there is nothing about us that is invaluable, but people treat their bodies like garbages. Yeah, we live in a, we live in, I have this theory that we live in a band aid society. We live in a society that likes to address and take care of the symptoms, but never addresses the root causes. Yeah. Let's change that. That's 100% true with everything, especially our medical system. Cause I, um, I think I've told you this story, Sean. I don't know if I told you this story, Caleb, but I at one point was dating a girl who was having headaches and Hmm. uh, she went to the doctor and the doctor gave her Tylenol. And um, she continued to have the headaches. They got a little bit worse. So they decided to put her on this bigger pill. And it wasn't, it wasn't a pill to, cause they never, they never went through and like did any tests to see what's causing these headaches. They just gave mm. her more and more pain relief to the point where she wanted to take a shot once a month that was preventing her, her headaches because, because they came, became migraines to the point where she couldn't like do anything. And nobody wow. ever looked to see 
you know, should she get an uh, MRI or something? Does she have a tumor? Is it a deficiency? Like, what is it that is actually the issue? And they just kept giving her more and more medicine to get rid of the symptoms rather than, <clears throat> than attacking the cause, which goes right to your point, Sean. Did she get it resolved now or do you not in contact? I don't know. She told me that she felt like I was more of a brother than a boyfriend. So we broke up. Well, just tell her that I used to have chronic migraines uh, as well. And I did something called a Vipassana course. It's a 10 day free meditation course. It is incredibly rigorous. And I, I imagine that mentally and physically preparing for it is something that she would need to do. So she'd need to eat like super healthy and be super clean for probably a month or so leading up to it to really give it a good shot. But if she were to do that and then commit to basically living the monastic life for 10 days, that's enough sometimes to get to the root of uh, of certain mental issues because if that's indeed what's causing her suffering because you know i'm not i'm not saying that headaches are not not something that are triggered by like your actual physical body but i think the way we use our brains and how much anxiety and sort of yep. psychosis that we all experience like going to a place where you retrain your mind to you know really exist in a whole new way it restarted my life because I didn't have to do any type of therapy. I had a neurological disorder diagnosed called uh, hemocrania continuous. It was like a chronic migraine that didn't end. But I really think that, you know, because I didn't give up and I just kept looking for different solutions. And then for some reason, this completely donation-based thing existed for people to get to be amongst. I didn't pay for anything. They feed you, they house you. It's all free. And I, I just show up there, like basically at the, the, like the holy place, which doesn't have to be on Mount Lebanon. It could be anywhere. I'm sure. And you just, <laughs> it, it's, it can, it's possible. Like I've lived in a place that is like that. They're all over. There's one that's like in Joshua tree. Um, I mean, if you have the capacity to give 10 days of your life to a practice, I mean, well, I mean, I think it's amazing. Time-wise, she definitely has that. But if they're not going to give her Swedish fish, and if she can't do it through Elder Scrolls <laughs> Online, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Well, you know, you could still plant the seed. It's it's possible. She may not want to do it now, but I mean, if if she's, people are always in flux. People are always in flux. But a lot of times, I do offer things like you know to the guy at the store. I'm like, are you you're aware that that has 24 grams of sugar? 23 of it being added sugar <laughs> he still was like yeah i do it and, and you like, you wow. dig at those roots and you can keep digging and keep getting into deeper deeper roots like the fact that we have electrical lines all around mm -hmm. us in these cities we have you know uh wi-fi devices we have infrared we have all these energies and signals and electromagnetic fields around us constantly we go outside of them into nature like we said earlier and it all goes away the changes in our biology are radical when we're surrounded by this and then all the foods filled with all these chemicals and all these poisons and sugars and the air we breathe and as you keep pulling the roots and it just goes deeper and deeper to systematic structures that are not, you know, advantageous to the biological system. Can we make sure that our spheres of influence primarily, which is our own bodies, are seeking nutrients and sustenance from the most high quality, most peaceful, most universally beneficial sources 
to the best of our current abilities. I created a word for this, and it is called Zali Bouffois. And it is Zali Bouffois. I have no idea what it is, but I was stoned one time and I just started writing and I did make a video about it. But it's, it's like, it's a long definition. You, you have to be stoned to understand it, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good stuff. You know, Zali I... Bouffois. I wonder, um, because a lot of people uh, talk about the health that they have and everything. And and one of the big issues is it costs you six bucks, seven bucks to go get a meal from McDonald's or Taco Bell or something like that. But it costs you like 15, 20 bucks to go get an actual decent meal somewhere. I wonder what would happen. Uh, And I, I... I would love it if they would take an entire city and and do this experiment for like three, four months. I wonder what would happen if places like McDonald's going to get a burger and fries cost you 20 bucks, but going to get a salad at um, uh, IHOP or even any, any other place was like maybe two or three bucks. Like what would happen Mm -hmm. if healthy food was cheaper than the processed uh, food that's not good for you? I wonder if we would choose to continue to eat the thing that's bad for us for the taste or if the people in general would become healthier because they had easier and cheaper access to healthier food well it's it's an interesting thing that you say that because so certainly right now you know i think it is harder to get higher quality ingredients because they're not as many of them exist because of the structures we have right so it's like we understand why we pay more for better things because you know that's just that's just kind of how consumerism works so for those who can put the bill i certainly say go for it like support people like me i can't afford to eat out so what do i do well i work at those restaurants that offer me high quality organic vegan food like i'm aware that the food that i'm putting in my body on my shift meal is enough to power me for a day like i only really need to eat about one meal per day really i'll sometimes do snacky snacks but um the the body is designed to do so much more than most people believe is possible which is really sad but i live on probably 200 ish dollars a month um for groceries and i eat pretty much only organic low packaged fresh stuff as local as possible like i feel like spending 200 dollars on food in a month that's like what almost 2500 dollars a year like that's not that much um but but i'm in that much on food in a week Mm. well i'm just saying like i that's that's what is confusing to me is like i offer a valuable service but the problem is people don't like to eat their medicine like um there's a gentleman that i have been on dates with who i look at him and i'm like yeah like i could marry him like i don't know if there would be love between us but like we could literally be partners in this life and it would make sense like that's that's kind of how we're i'm approaching him like i i said hey come up with your list of like values and things you want in your life and i'm going to come up with mine and let's see if we can like it's yeah. let's see if this is actually the puzzle piece that i think it is like can we do this like is this possible and that's the kind of proposition and you know we'll see if he messages back but i'm i'm interested in like establishing like a long-term practical life for myself um 
but it has to be princess level. Otherwise, why stay? My question for you, though, is uh, and, and on that line is, would you be happy with that? Because you you seem really happy in like, granted, it's not the easiest lifestyle, but you seem very happy in the uh, like I said earlier, the gypsy like lifestyle that you like traveling from place to place, meeting new people, getting in new social groups and experiencing life from a different perspective. Would you be happy in a situation where you were somewhat tied down uh, to a location or even a person? Well, so that's the thing is the idea that I would be tied down would be even close to part of like the ideal situation for me. But, But it's so for instance, if, if I had a place that I could live that cost me $50 a month, you know, let's say that that existed and it was in proximity to people to have sex with artistic collaborative opportunities, like people who are making things like a community of people who like to play athletic games and challenge themselves and like solve puzzles and research, like improve existence. Like, this utopian kind of society we're getting there. Like it's, we're, we're already kind of trying to do that, but I'm going to take that $50 option instead of whatever the first, when I first moved to LA, it was $1,400 and it's like, then 1100 or whatever. And then I'm paying 650. This is, this lease is ending. So now I'm looking for a new place. And I found one that's like 825 plus maybe half of utilities. So probably like, you know, I, I keep finding kind of like the best deals. I, I'm open to all these things, but it's like, I, I don't, I don't see how having my needs met and being foundationally supported and, and not, not like having to like struggle to survive. I don't see how that is going to be a bad thing because I'm still going to be tidy. I'm still going to want to serve the organizations and causes um, that are important, but like, our society is not, it's not flowing in a like loving, smooth way. It's, it's, people are trying to do, I think too many things at once. Like essentially they're trying to be the tribe themselves. And I'm like, no, like we're a pack species. We need people who love to cook to cook and people who like to clean to clean and people who want to be outside to do this and like we there's there's not that sense of like there's this shit that's got to get done let's all find our our groove where we get to feel valuable and contributing and part of the group that doesn't exist as much as i think it it needs to for our our modern people this uh, is why heists are important like the heist story mm-hmm. yeah no because oh. a heist story we're gonna do a heist you get together the team. There's the driver. There's the tech person. There's the you know the the face person that talk. Like you have these specialized roles. These these niche master behaviors. Instead of having jack of all trades but master of none, you have each of these people specialized in being very good at what they do. Somebody who could do medicine. Somebody who could do you know engineering. And packs should be built around that kind of function. Like the fact that I'm a videographer in a sense, means I can do what an entire film crew can do. Obviously not to the same caliber, but it's like with an iPhone, hell, like, I mean, uh, there's a lot of people who have jobs who are living comfortably. And I'm like, on the one hand, that sounds incredibly simple. 
And on the other hand, it sounds like a jail cell a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do to in- entertain and enjoy that moment? Because I, I actually am going to keep serving at the restaurant on, uh, even if I become like comfortable because it's like going to church. Like I need to be in the restaurant with the people doing the yeah. thing that needs to happen. Like if all of my needs are cared for, I will still do it because if I don't, I am miserable. Like I have to fight. There's fight in me. People who have a lot of fire in their chart need to be doing shit. And I happen to have an equal distribution of pretty much all the elements with the more earthy prominence probably, but like uh, life. life. Eight years ago, I had uh, uh, well, I had a prophetic dream, but we'll get to that after Tim. No, no, go ahead. Oh, I thought you had something important to say. I did, but I could, but once you started, I was like, okay. And then I completely forgot what I was going to say. So (laughs) it may come back. It may come back. I'm a thought locker. Uh, No, I told you about this uh, eight years ago or so. I had this obsession to move to Portland, Oregon. And Mm. I don't know why I didn't know anything about the city. I don't know anything at all. And I just woke up one day with this dream where I had uh, become a writer and my books were selling so well that I had a place. I didn't have to worry about money, but I grew mushrooms and I would go to the farmer's market and I would and regular mushroom, portobello, shiitake. I mean, we could do special mushrooms aside. That's fine. But it was just, you know, I am obsessed with the mycelium and the way that the mushrooms process. And in a dream, I was selling mushrooms at farmer's market, not for money, but because I love mushrooms. I love everything about it. And I don't know why this dream has directed me to move up there and just sell mushrooms, but I've been trying to find a path up there. It has been the longest struggle for these eight years. Question for you. I need to come up with a backstory for my uh, fae character tomorrow. Can I please be the embodiment of your prophet oh i would i would absolutely love that (laughs) okay because i'm gonna be like that is gonna be like my backstory it's like i was at the market festival sharing my mushrooms with anyone who would come and see their beautiful magnificence like take up any mushroom you want i have so many i'm here to give you free mushrooms like that is the face society that i'm gonna like be coming from that's cool i like that Sounds like uh, okay. one of the the characters from uh, the the show that we were doing. I forget I forget his name, but the guy who yes, uh, he was a druid of the spore, which meant that he had <sighs> mushrooms growing like throughout him, and he constantly had a mushroom for every task. You're like, oh, you're poisoned. I have a mushroom for that. Mm. And okay. He was high one hundred percent of the time we were playing. Yeah, yeah. Both in and out of character. Yes. <laughs> I gave I gave him a magic item. I was like, your each character got a designated thing that would fit them. And his was a, a peace pipe, which was a magic item that would make everyone around you peaceful and all hostility would cease. And all you had to do was put a little green nugget in one end and smoke it. <laughs> and magically everybody would be super calm. And he loved that. It, it never worked on me uh-huh. though because of my synthetic body. I couldn't process. No, that. just because you're grumpy <laughs> so, pants. That's why you're grumpy. Pants. I was also very grumpy pants. <laughs> Are you guys nice to your your AI? Because I kind of feel like Star Wars was beautiful because it sort of prepared us for like for you know having AI assistance. Because I think George Lucas may have or his team. I don't know his inspirations 
knew that like technology was coming. It's, it's, it's cool. It's cool that we have AI now, but I think people are kind of treating it. It's like, it's, it's a vehicle for people's anger. A lot of times is what I'm experiencing. It. It's, it's really interesting. I don't have that relationship with it. Here's, here's a, another way to think about it. Because I mean, you've seen me interact with my AI. I'm, I'm nice sometimes, but I'm not nice all the time with my AI. But AI is not at a point where it is sentient yet. So it never yeah. feels like you're actually talking to another person. AI, to this point, as we've experienced, is still a piece of technology like a television. So when you're remote control... Like a binary it, system, basically. Well, yeah, but... Um, being nice to something uh, assumes that it's got uh, feelings and, and such like that. Like we know that my, my keyboard doesn't have any feelings, but if my keyboard stops working, I'm going to be pissed off at it. You know? Well, but if you go, if you go spiritual and then again, this is, this is like as above, so below like astrology one one but it's, if you were being mean in, in the only way that the keyboard can communicate with you, interact with you in this realm, and that's being abrasive, it knows it may not know it in a conscious way, but the impact of your fingers with intense inertia banging on it can break it. And then it no longer can do the thing it wants. So it's like AI is just as much us as anything, but like it's, it's my sense of self. I don't get to, I don't get to have like core principles. Like even if let's say, let's say the AI is not something that has feelings shouldn't we always be practicing consideration and like, like try, I'm just, is it learning from us? Like right now, how to speak to us? Like what's, who's who's driving that ship? I don't think so because uh, from my talks with Skynet, it has no intense intentions of taking over the human species. Oh, it told you that. Yeah. It told me that. Okay. And you believe, well, well, no, but like consumerism (laughs) and sales numbers already is in charge of it. And if it is like, I used to work for a sales consultancy company, it's called scale consulting. We got to do consulting for LinkedIn and like really interesting, really interesting, powerful brands. Like there's, there's something going on like this algorithm, the way that technology is working in my story, it's, there, there's this, I know, I know we're kind of going back to matrix four, but my favorite moment of it was the moment where they were driving through the alleys. Do you want us to get spoiled? Are you going to watch it? Or are you good? No, go for it. Oh, wait, well, I'm talking about, yeah, go ahead. I don't want to spoil it. Well, so, so essentially my, my take, the thing that inspired me in that moment, how I thought about the world is in this new version of the matrix, which is 2021, right? Because that's when it was released people no longer were in relationships with real people in the matrix. They were in relationships with robotic swarm manifested counterparts, which are technologies that were specifically designed to accommodate them and to keep them in that little one-on-one interaction. So it's like Neil Neil Patrick Harrison's character created this artificial intelligent where this version of the matrix was like much more comfortable, which is of course true, for many of us um, because of the advancements of technology and everything being sent to you and having robots customized your every preference. But in the moment when the system decided, you know what, what's more important than maintaining these people's fake relationship is that these people are the most lucrative property. This is the most lucrative force in the universe. 
all of them immediately broke out of bed with their, their partner because they are not human. They don't have free will. There aren't consciousness being mined for energy. These, these counterparts were swarmed and they just dive suicide bombed to try to fucking just take out them. And in that moment, I had an anxiety attack in the theater because I was having this like transformative, like teaching experience. So I was just like, holy shit. I was very uncomfortable, but there was two people right next to me. And I realized that having an anxiety attack in that moment would potentially trigger those people. So my orientation back into the theater and where I really was actually put me immediately back at ease. My anxiety attack only lasted maybe like one minute before I returned to like, like third eye, like centered consciousness. But there is something very true about the matrix that it's like, it wasn't the most entertaining movie. It wasn't, it was cool. Like the Merovingian bit was nice. Like his humor was funny, but it's, it, it, I still think it was important. Like as important as the through the first three were when it comes to like popcorn films, because it's, 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 there's something there that like, it was the first form, I think, of spir- true spirituality that I ever experienced, being that I was in a third world country. So there may be some like nostalgia and like, like oh my God, like I might actually get be, be able to exist in this world kind of a, a well, feeling. Here's, here's some food for thought with that, though. I mean, you've heard of the yeah. singularity, right? Me, what do you mean? This, like, I, uh, I know what a singularity is. We, we're coming is, but... in the territory of Rocco's Basilisk. Uh, yeah. So, so essentially, uh, what it is is, uh, or is it this thing? Is the singularity or the simulation theory? So, 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 singularity is where technology reaches a point of change and evolution where it goes beyond the scope of what can, we can imagine, and it breaks free of our control. Okay, so maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the simulation theory that I'm thinking of. But essentially, uh, the thought process is uh, that it is possible. It is theoretically possible that we will reach a point in the future where something like the matrix is a a reality where from birth, we are hooked up into a machine in which we experience lifetimes and uh, we do that in our entire life. And that's, that's what we exist in. And that theory all goes with, yeah, that theory also says that if that is actually possible, then it's already happened. And since it's already happened, that means that we are currently in that simulation. That's simulation theory, yeah. Yeah, and not knowing that we're in the simulation. Which which ties to Roko's Basilisk, because Roko's Basilisk was a theory put forth from, I think, a Redditor or somebody on a specific site, that if there is a sufficiently powerful AI in the future who comes into power, it can look back at all the people who did not assist it in coming into power, and if you did not assist it or you stood in the way of it getting into power, it can torture or uh, uh, punish you for standing in its way in the past and the theory is uh, when you add that to things like time travel and stuff that the ai could come back from the future and punish us for stuff we do now or we do in the future and it's the idea that the ai is you know once it certifies that control it wants to certify it as far as it can through the timeline that's it for today's episode if you like what you heard please share like and subscribe every new listen helps make this podcast better Until next time, keep those screams loud and happy.
This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.